Lord God, help this to be the fabric of our lives. Help us to pray without ceasing. That like Jesus, that we would continuously be in prayer so that it just be like breathing, that it would be involuntary, that we continue to have this connection and response to any and everything that happens in our lives. Help this be the most important thing that any of us can do. So we seek you in prayer. Father, as we open up your text this morning, won't you speak to us through your word? Not for our own selves that we might have some head knowledge, but that we would uh, be pierced at the heart, that we would be transformed, that we would have no choice and want nothing more than to do what it is that you've called us to do because of what you've done for us. Father, this morning, give me the words to say and how to say them. May the words of my, the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my Lord, my strength and my Redeemer in whom I trust. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. That was special. For us to approach the throne of grace together. For us to seek the Lord together. We might do this again. That was special. Turn with me. Turn with me your copy of God's Word. This morning we're going to be in Romans chapter 2. We're in the book of Romans, and Paul really wants that the folks in Rome, and us by extension, to really know and understand the gospel. It's so important to Paul, and it's the reason that Paul is doing everything he's doing. He's traveling all around the world telling people about Jesus because it is that important to him, and it should be that important to us. There's a lot of folks who walk around, call themselves Christian, and have no idea what the gospel is. I saw a video the other day where um, some ladies were in a mall, and uh, they went around and they, they asked people a one particular question. They asked people, who is Jesus? They talked to several different people. They were there the whole day, apparently, and they only took a few clips, but... The, the answers varied wide and large about who Jesus is, who Jesus was, even from people who claimed to be Christian. They couldn't adequately express who Jesus is and what he had done. And they started going off into, well, to me, he's love and life and he's spirit and gives me hope and maybe. But who is Jesus? Like when it comes to brass tacks, who does the Bible say that he is? And there was only a couple people who said, well, Jesus is the son of God. 
He is a person within the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He was there from the very beginning. He came uh, to, uh, uh, he put on flesh and he, he lived a life that was meant for us. He was tempted yet did not sin and gave up his life for you and me. And he was mocked and, and spit on and, and, and characterized and, and uh, he gave up his life on the cross so that we can have life that is everlasting. And now sits at the right hand of the Father, praying and interceding for us. It's amazing that there were so few people who were able to articulate who Jesus is. And even way back when, when Paul wrote this letter, they had just as much trouble. When we start chapter 2, um, it starts with the word therefore. And we could have a whole sermon on that word alone. Because when you see therefore, you want to ask, what is therefore, therefore? When we, when we read something, I mean, when, when you see therefore, you know, what, what's going on here? The definition of therefore is for that reason or consequently. So, it's saying, hey, I said some stuff already before, and now I'm going to say some stuff that pertains to that. So if you just jump into chapter two and learn, well, therefore, you have no excuse. Or, man, therefore, what? What are you talking about? We, we, we're going to miss something if you didn't read chapter one. Generally, this adverb is used to help the reader to understand the information that follows. It builds on what has already been presented. So what is therefore, therefore? Paul has just finished saying that there are people who don't follow God or attempt to claim that he doesn't even exist despite proof to the contrary. Paul is walking us through all of this. God has revealed himself through natural revelation and each of us are imprinted with this moral fabric to know right from wrong. And people are like, well, you can't claim to say that we get morality from the Bible uh, absolutely, that's what I'm saying. Not just the Bible, but we're all imprinted with this morality that helps us to understand what is right from wrong. Well, we all know and get a sense there's something bigger than us that, that this world and things that happen didn't happen by accident. It's not a coincidence that the universe operates in the way that it does so perfectly. It, it, if the sun was just a little bit to the right, or rotated in, in a different way for the earth, life just wouldn't exist. It wouldn't work. Unfortunately, these folks, they just suppressed the truth and they substituted with lies. Instead, we, we, we have chosen to create our own gods. We've chosen to go and, 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 and have our own idols and since we've done this and chosen to go our own way, God has allowed us to suffer the consequences of breaking God's law. Well, if you want to choose your own way, God says, have at it. But no, there are consequences for going right instead of left. You have a choice. Choose wisely. 
these transgressions include things like homosexuality, envy, murder, strife, deceit, gossip, pridefulness, foolishness, and many, many others. So don't think that you come in here without sin. Because if you think that, you're lying to yourself. All of us are guilty before a perfect and righteous God. As Paul is speaking to this mixed crowd, there's Jewish listeners in the crowd. And so as, 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 as he goes through and he's talking about this, I'm going to jump to, to the verse 28 in, in chapter 1. We don't have this on the slide, but Paul is talking to the, the Gentiles here and, and others in the crowd. He says, since they didn't see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to debase mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, and malice. They were all full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. Um, they were gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of foolishness, uh, faithful, faithless, heartless, ruthless. They know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. So he's going in saying, hey, you're doing all these things that go against God. And the Jewish people, I imagine, were standing there. That's right. That's right, Paul. Get them. That's right. They're wrong. They're evil. They're doing all this stuff. Get them, Paul. This is what I imagine they were doing. But then Paul turns to them and he says, therefore, this is chapter two, verse one, therefore, you have no excuse, O man. Now imagine he's talking to the crowd and he's saying all these things and maybe there were the Jewish people pumping him up and saying, then he turns, he's talking to the crowd, right? And he turns specifically to the Jews over here. Now listen, O man what I have to say. Hear me what we're going on. Every one of you who judges for in passing judgment on another, <laughs> you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. He's like, you know what? You want to be all high and mighty. You want to talk about what they're doing. And you're doing the same stuff, but you're hiding it. You're doing the same things that you're, you're blaming them for, but you want to come on and put on a face for me. I know you. I know what you've been doing. God knows. Don't, don't act like you're going to get away with this. So Paul lets them know when you judge others, in fact, what they're doing is condemning themselves. Don't we see this today? Those people who are hard and want to talk about homosexuality and just bang that drum and bang the drum and then it comes out that they have some experiences themselves that are ongoing that, nobody, that somebody just found out about and it comes out in the paper. Isn't that something? They want to talk about sexual immorality and, and how important marriage is and, and staying true to your wife. Then all of a sudden they get caught up in some adultery. Huh? All that time, you're, you're compensating for something and, and you're, you're compensating so much that you're, you're trying to hide and stuff down the things that you're doing 
so that you can shine the focus on somebody else. So Paul lets them know when you judge others, you're condemning yourselves. And this chapter, when it's coupled with the previous chapter, helps to remind us that there are people who consider themselves religious. They tend to be actually self-righteous hypocrites. These hypocrites who condemn folks who practice the sins listed in 18 through 32 that we just went through. And that's why um, the atheists and other people, they don't want to deal with church folks. Because they see it. They know it. They know we're hypocrites. But we want we want a talk walk around all high and mighty and then get surprised when we see somebody in the club next to us, like, oh man, they're not supposed to be here. <laughs> what are they gonna say tomorrow? Well, at the same time, these people, they fail to consider their own sinfulness before a holy God. Mark 2 and 17 says, um, uh, when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Because people... The, the, the religious of the day were like, how dare the, Jesus and the, his disciples go and hang out with those sinners? What is he doing? He shouldn't be fraternizing with them. But those are the people who most needed to hear his message. Those are the people who most needed to know that there was hope. This is not the life that you need. You don't have to go this way. And we do this here today. We we get consumed to these four walls and this is where we express our religiosity. But it's people outside that need to hear this message. We walk around with the greatest message known to man and keep it to ourselves. There are people out there suffering, waiting on you to share the good news. God has put you in a place and give you this message so that you can share with the people he's put around you. They're waiting. They're, they're literally dying to hear this message that you have. He didn't come for the people who think they are righteous, but for those who are willing to admit they are in need of a savior. People walk around high and mighty and all that stuff. You can't tell them nothing. But it's those people that like, I'm down and out. I ain't got no money. I don't got no job. People don't want to be around me. I got nothing. They know there's something missing. They just don't know what it is. And it's for us to let them know. With these religious folks on the outside, they look like they were doing all the right things. I like how Jesus called them whitewashed tombs. You were all spotless on the outside, but inside you're like rotting corpses. If you can't say amen, you ought to say ouch. I mean, that's, that's deep. Unfortunately, God's judgment isn't based on these external appearances or uh, a standard um, of our own. They're based on his holy and righteous standard and God's judgment reflects this reality. This morning I want to tell you about some facts about God's judgment. 
And as, as much as the world wants to tell us and wants to take us away from reality, they, they want us to believe that blue is yellow, that the sky is down. As much as the world wants us to take us from reality, God wants us to stay rooted in reality. And God's, that's where God's judgment is rooted, in reality. Look with me in verse 3 of chapter 2. Verse 3 says, do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do not follow them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? You talk about being unrealistic. You know what God's law says. You know what God's judgment looks like. And you want to talk about the other folks over there. Don't you think that applies to you? As much as it applies to other people, there are no exceptions to God's judgment. These days, you might hear someone use the term snowflake, and they use this term to, to describe someone who is thinking they're special or they're, they're the exception to the rule. But God doesn't grade it on a curve. Whether you're religious or not, whether you're of one political party over another, whether you are one ethnicity over another, it doesn't matter because there's no exceptions regarding the reality and standards of God's righteous judgment. There's no exceptions. You are not a snowflake. It applies to you just as much as it applies to the person next to you, it, just as much as it applies to the people outside of this room. We will all stand before a righteous God and have to give a testimony for who we are and what we've done. Verse 4. It says, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself. And on the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. I don't know about you, but I clenched up a little bit. I mean, that's, that's really a powerful statement that Paul lays out for us. If there's no exceptions for God's judgment, then you really can't expect God's kindness. There's too many people that think, think, think they deserve God's kindness. They think, well, you know, I, I've been to church a few times, or my grandmother grew up in the church, and, and you know, I deserve this. I, I'm a Christian. Yet they don't live a life that looks like Jesus. They don't spend time with the God that they talk about following. They mistakenly believe that they get into heaven because they've done these things or uh, their parents have somehow paid the way for them. Even though they are not a new creation in Jesus Christ and don't follow his commands, they think they have an assurance because they've had this emotional experience one time. Or maybe they did some religious ritual. They think, check the box, I'm good, I'm good to go. I can do and act whatever way that I want to because I did that one thing back in one time that I, I, somebody made me talk some gibberish as a sign of my salvation. That's not what the text tells us. That's not the way that it works. Titus 3 and 4 says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, 
he saved us, not because of works done in his righteous in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that being justified by grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. You see, God's kindness. In it, he makes us aware of our sin. He uh, gives us our responsibility, and that responsibility is to repent, or this to repent means literally to turn away. We turn from our sin and turn toward him in faith. Brothers and sisters, embrace God's grace by being transformed. That's what I want for us. I don't want you to come here and just take your appointed place in the pew. I don't want you to come here and say, well, I'm doing a good thing by being in church. I want you to come and hear God speak to you through his word. And I want you to be changed because of who God is and what he's done for you in your life. If you walk out here the same as you walked in, then either I'm not doing my job or you're not doing yours. And I'm trying my best. I don't say oh, everything right and perfectly, but man, I just, I just try to tell you what God's word is saying and I want you to hear it. I want you to hear it in such a way that like, I cannot go back to doing the things I used to do. Knowing the truth, knowing what God did for me, I've got to live for him. I've got to be obedient to him. I owe him everything. He gave up his life for me. And this life is not all there is. It goes on and on. It goes for eternity. This, let me tell you, eternity is a long time. I don't care how, there's some older saints here today. And you live long, great lives. And God bless you for that. But eternity is longer. Longer. Forever and ever and ever. Where do you want to be? What do you, who do you want to be with? My hope is that you get to be with the Savior. You get to be with God and you get to be with him in real, literal, actual worship. Because the alternative is separation for him. Separation for God for eternity. And whereas those people who follow Christ get to be with him, get to be with in his presence, get to be in worship, get to, we're going to continue to work and do things and all that stuff in heaven. But there'll be no more tears, no more strife, no more pain, no more anguish, none of those things that we are suffering with today. But if you choose not to follow him, you get none of that. There will be pain and it will be eternal. There will be tears and it'll be eternal. There will be fire and damnation, gnashing of teeth. That's real. I'm here to tell you about a real heaven and a real hell. That if you don't take this seriously, there are eternal implications. I'm not trying to scare you into hell or heaven. I'm not trying to, I mean, this, I'm just telling you what the text says. This is, this is what God says that there will be. I didn't make this up this morning. Read the word for yourself. And if you act like you don't need to repent, then Paul says what you're doing is storing up your self-wrath. I've heard people say this. Well, I don't really need to repent. You know, again, I, I, 
I accepted him a long time ago, and I, man, it's just it's fine. I don't need to. I don't need to repent. Remember, repent is turning away. It's turning from sin and turning to God. How dare you? You don't need to repent. Time is running short, and it will soon be too late for you to repent. That's the reality. That is facts. Matthew 7 and 21 is the scariest thing that I have read in the scripture for me. Romans 7 and 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, this is Jesus speaking. I never knew you. Not, he doesn't stop there. He could have stopped there. I mean, for, for my own well-being and so I won't be so fearful. <laughs> he could have just stopped there. I, don't, I never know, but he doesn't. He says, I never knew you. Depart from me. Get away from me. He could have stopped there too. I mean, for real. Just get out of my sight. But no, he says, get away from me, you workers of lawlessness. Get out of my sight. I don't even know who you are. I don't know who you think you are. That stuff you did wasn't in my name. That stuff was for you. That stuff was to make you feel and look good. Get away from me. Get out of here. When I pray for you, when I, I pray for each of you by name, I pray for each of your families on a regular basis. And what turns my stomach is this might be true for some of you that you might think that you're being or doing the Christian things, that, that you might be putting on a mask to, to make yourself look a certain way, but deep down, deep down there's some other things going on that you're not being honest about. Deep down there's some sin that you haven't confessed Deep down, there's some sin that you haven't repented of, that you haven't turned away from, and that you think you'll be okay. I love you guys so much that I don't want that for you. I know it's painful to address the sin in your life. I've been there. I know how it is. You know, I, I smoked some weed. I, I've stolen some things. I've fornicated. I've done a lot of terrible things that I had to go to the Lord and say, take this stuff away from me. Because I love you more than I love all these things, this, this sin, these transgressions against you. It was hard, let me tell you. It was hard to admit those things, not only to myself, but admit them to a holy God, but God already knew. 
And surely, and I'm not saying it happened overnight, but surely over time, he took that stuff away from me. He washed me and cleansed me and put me back on the right path. And I'm not saying this so that, oh, look at Pastor Vaughn and how good he is, because I ain't. I struggle. I'm saying this stuff because I know you struggle too. And it's time for you to turn away. It's time for you to follow the Lord. When we look at this and we look at not repenting, we realize there's, there's no way for us to turn back. Once this, this, this life is done and complete, there's nothing else for us to do. In verse 6, he goes on and says, we, He will render to each one according to his works, to those who by patience and well-doing uh, seek for glory and honor and immorality. He will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human who does evil. The Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good. The Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. To be clear, uh, I want you to know that we're not saved by our works. We can't do enough in this life to earn our way into heaven. However, when we love God and when we follow him, we desire to be in God's will. We desire and want to be obedient to him. If you give in order to receive, then there's really no point. The position of your heart is what really matters. You can either do things for the glory and honor of God, or you can do them strictly for your own benefit, and you're not going to fool anybody. Psalm, 20, Psalm 62 and 12 says, O Lord, uh, belongs uh, steadfast love, for you will render to man according to his work. Proverbs uh, 24 and 12, if you say, behold, we did not know this, does not uh, he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? Christians are justified by grace alone, and this transforming grace leads to works. I love my wife, and I love doing things for her, but the things that I do for her does not make her love me more. She already loves me. And because she loves me and the, the, the way she loves me, it, it makes me want to do more. It makes me want to take care of it. It makes me want to lavish her with gifts because of the love that is already there. These good works demonstrate that we belong to Christ and we hope that he will be glorified in those works, not that ourselves will be glorified. Verse 11 again, for God shows no partiality for all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all those who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers. <laughs> it's the doers, not just the hearers, but it's the doers of the law who will be justified. 
For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written in their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Jews in the crowd at this time during all of this, they might have thought that they were special. They might have thought they were the exception because of Israel's special privileges. However, Paul notes that God will judge with an even hand regardless of ethnicity and regardless of their background. While it's true that Israel had certain privileges, those privileges came with responsibilities. And it didn't remove them from God's impartial judgment. The gospel is true for both Jews and Gentiles because both stand under impartial judgment of God. We're all just the same. None of us are snowflakes. None of us are unique. None of us are exceptions. So finally, the judgment of God is an important aspect of the gospel. And we talk a lot about the gospel and what that is and what that looks like. Um, But we don't often talk about the judgment that is included. Through Jesus, God has appointed this judgment through Christ. John 5 and 22 says this, For the Father judges, judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now near when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Second Corinthians goes on to say in chapter 5, verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. You see, Jesus came so that you could have life. Not just any life. Our mission is to grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ, to thrive as a body of believers, and to serve Bolingbroke and the greater community. When I, when I think about thrive, as I pray through what it means to thrive. It's not just getting by. God didn't have us here just so that we can get by and get through life, that we would wait for five o'clock every day. We would live only for the weekend. He came so that you might have life and have it abundantly. That you might have an abundant life, that you might thrive, that you might have joy. 
times are not always going to be good, but even in the midst of challenges and trials, there's a potential to have joy because you know that trial is only momentary. You know there will be a day where there will be no more trials. That's why we can have an abundant life because we're looking for the future. We know that all we have is not just this life, but we have what's next. I know it's hard. We live in this Amazon Prime mentality where we want everything right now and next day. But we have the, the, the future. We have eternity to look forward to. And that's going to, you won't even remember this because you'll be so filled with joy and love that you, you'll say it was all worth it just so that I can be in the presence of Jesus. It was all worth it so that I get to be with him forever and eternity in heaven. That's what I want for us. I want us to be transformed, be looking forward to that day. Looking forward to that day where we get to be with him in, return, in eternity or that day when he comes back for us. I want us to wait with anticipation. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, what a great God you are. Even as we read today and, and, and hear and listen to you, tell us about your judgment. We, we listen to you speak to us about your wrath, your anger. Thank you for even peppering that message with your love. with your grace, with your mercy. Thank you for loving us in such a special way that we get, to, we get to see and understand that we are living fully and hopefully for you, that we are submitting our lives to you so that we can escape this measure of wrath. We can understand how much you loved us and then we can extend that love to others. That we do get to look forward to that day that we will spend forever and eternity with you. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for caring for us. Thank you for shaping us and molding us into your image. Keep this on our minds as we leave here today. Help us to live this out. And for those of those who are here, that they would seek other people out like, I want to do this. I want to be obedient. I want to live for Jesus. I'm not sure how all the time that you would draw your people together so that we can walk with one another and be able to live this out together that we may be able to encourage one another, that when we're down, when we're out and we're frustrated and we're angry, that somebody comes and just speaks the gospel over our lives and remind us about who you are and what you've done. That we can have life and that we can have it abundantly. You've not sent us here just to get by. 
Father, thank you so much for all of this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. I love you all, and I, man, it just excites me to be able to be here with you in the presence of Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, doing what he called us to do. I'm grateful for that.